Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to our spookiest retrospective yet, Episode 8, Silent Hill 2. My name is Patrick Arthur, and I'm joined once again by my co-host, James Turlings. Did you play this game in the middle of the day like I did, James, or were you playing at midnight with all the lights switched off? Yeah, I can uh, I can safely say that I at least tried to play it with the lights turned off, but I uh, may have given up a couple hours in... <laughs> Spooky games are not my thing. I'm the kind of guy, I was playing Amnesia The Dark Descent, and I really liked the first room in that game where there's some light coming in through the windows. When you leave that first room and it's getting dark, that's when I stopped playing. So um, I definitely played with uh, all of my lights turned on, including my desk lamp, because uh, scary games aren't my thing. But this is the game of the car, so I'm going to have to uh, deal with it. Yeah, you, you can't call me halfway through the night again like you did last night. Just <laughs> I told you, you not sleep. to tell anyone that. <laughs> <laughs> um, today, we're going to try and answer the question, is Silent Hill 2 a game that's worth playing today? On the Retrospectors podcast, our goal isn't to evaluate games as products of their times. Instead, we want to know if it's worth your precious time to boot up an emulator or get a PlayStation 2 and play it right now. On each episode, James and I play the game of the week to completion independently, and then we save our discussion for today, the day of the cast. So James, why did you choose Silent Hill 2? Was it just because you know I hate horror games, or did you have a more robust reason for choosing it for the cast? I mean, you're basically on the mark there, right? We were discussing which games to play for the podcast, and, you know, we were throwing ideas around the room. And I mentioned this game briefly because I know that it's a game that a lot of people like. And I instantly noticed how uncomfortable Patrick sounded when I suggested Silent Hill 2. And that was it. That was why I decided to play it. But, you know, realistically, I've heard from many people that this game is fantastic that it's an excellent story game and was miles ahead in terms of when it was released. You know, this is a game from 2001 and, you know, people were telling me that it still holds up today, which meant I thought, you know, it was perfect for the show. So the story of Silent Hill 2 starts with you arriving at the top of the town, getting stopped by a roadblock with a letter from your dead wife, Mary. Your name is James Sunderland. Your wife died three years ago, yet you've mysteriously received a letter from her telling you to come find her at this place, which is uh, on the surface an idyllic tourist town in Northern America. You decide to proceed to the town on foot to find out what exactly is going on. Is your wife somehow still alive or is there something more nefarious at And so it begins your journey through Silent Hill. Now, I should say that we're going to be getting into heavy spoiler territory over the next hour. We will ease into it. So if you want to play Silent Hill 2, you can probably still listen for the next five to 10 minutes. But over the duration of this show, we are going to go into great detail into the entire Silent Hill 2 story. So if you truly want a spoiler-free experience, you should play the game and then come back and listen. Yeah, we're going to do our best to tell you whether or not we recommend you this game early, because unlike many of the past titles we've played, the story in this game is so tied into the experience that spoiling the story will almost have you be playing an entirely different game. 
So we're going to go over some of the basics of the game, say what we liked and what we didn't, whether you should play it, and then we're going to go into a full-blown story analysis because it really ties into everything about the game. So I would recommend not listening to the entire episode, honestly, until you've played the game because it's just so integral to the experience, honestly. But if you've got no intention of playing the game or horror games aren't for you, then feel free to listen and we'll give you our thoughts. So, with that in mind, this is a horror game, as we've mentioned many times, and one of the most important things for such a title is, is it able to adeptly create this atmosphere of fear and tension in the game world? And Patrick, you know, as we've said, you haven't played many horror games. Was the game effective at creating this kind of atmosphere for you? So there are different types of horror experiences, but I think that the best one are ones where atmosphere is put to the forefront. You've also got movies which are more about jump scares, which are more about gore, but to me, the best sort of horror movies are ones that create atmosphere. Um, And I mentioned them last week, but films like The Shining and The Thing are some of my favourite films despite them being horror films. Because I don't rely on cheap jump scares. It's just as this gradual build-up of atmospheric horror. And I think that Silent Hill 2 belongs to this broad genre and feel of horror. Silent Hill 2 has atmosphere, and it slowly creeps up on you, and it really does suck you in to this horrifying atmosphere. The game isn't particularly scary in the sense that monsters in the dark are scary it's scary because of how it makes you feel and the subject matter that it forces you to confront you feel very uneasy and unhappy and uncomfortable playing through silent hill 2 and that's that's a compliment i'm giving it in terms of how horrifying it is on a you're screaming because all the lights have gone out not so much but I think that works to the game's benefit. Yeah, one of the things that struck me in the first few levels of the game is how excellent the sound design of this game uh, works towards creating this atmosphere. There are all hundreds of little sound effects like clinking glass and, you know, rustling shutters that play in the background at odd intervals that make me feel incredibly uncomfortable like something's watching you. And the ambient sounds like the whistling of wind and that kind of thing, I think is really good. You're crawling through these dilapidated apartments, and there's twists and there's turns in the level structure, and all the while there's just this really uncomfortable ambience in the background. As Pat said, it's definitely not the jump scare kind of cheesy popcorn horror that you may be used to. It's more of a, you know, a slow burn you know you're you're feeling tense at all points in this game it doesn't have these you know huge spikes and dips it just consistently manages to make you feel uncomfortable yeah it's hard to avoid going into other areas but i will say that the way the horror works and it's hard to talk about the horror without talking about all aspects of the game so what i'll move into now is the combat system Because I believe that the combat and how the combat works feeds into the atmosphere uh, in both positive and negative ways. So the combat in Silent Hill 2 is incredibly clunky. 
And the reason for that is you are not a guy from the army. You're not master chief. You're just a guy. So when you're confronting the monsters that exist in the game and you're holding a wooden stick with nails stuck into it, it feels awful to use. Repetitively, uh, you have to hold down a button to raise your stick and then press another button to attack them. It's a long, clunky animation, but I don't actually fault the game for it because it feeds into the atmosphere. You should be clunky. You're not trained in how to take on monsters. It should feel bad. An example of where the atmosphere gets hurt, I think, is in the fact that the monsters have so much health that it moves from being a clunky experience to a tedious one. I started off enjoying the combat, but as you move through the game, some of these enemies take about 10 swings before they actually stay dead, and that gets boring very quickly, and I found that that detracted from the experience. Yeah, even when you start getting guns and, you know, there's limited ammo throughout the levels, you know, it's a, it is a survival horror game. Even with guns, it takes a lot of handgun bullets to kill some of these enemies, like 7 to 10 sometimes. And when you're hitting something, they are getting stun-locked. So if you manage to get the first hit on an enemy, if there isn't a second enemy nearby, then you're just holding down the button until it eventually, you know, lets out its death moan and you know it's finally dead. The game early on gives you access to this radio item that sits on your belt and makes these really creepy, uh, staticky sounds if there's an enemy nearby. And, you know, you essentially just find an enemy and then hit it until the radio stops making its noise to indicate that it's dead. I found that... The actual combat of the game really detracted from the horror atmosphere. You know, you'd be moving through these levels terrified, like so scared, like my legs would be shaking because I could hear sounds. There's monsters around, but I can't see them, and that's terrifying. But then you see the enemy, and then you start hitting it, and because it's stun locked for like 15 seconds, just all of that fear just evaporates, and you're just bored hitting it over and over again in the head. And because ammo isn't super scarce, but it's scarce enough that you want to be using the club kind of weapons as much as you can, you know, the melee attacks. And those take so long to kill somebody. It was very repetitive. The combat in this game, I think, is one of the lowest parts. I had the same experience as you. Like, I, I know from genre knowledge that in survival horror games that ammo is valuable and you should be saving it for the later portion of the game. So I went through the first half of the game almost exclusively using the melee weapon, just because I was like, why not? It's, uh, it's you know, like you said, you stunlock the enemy, so why not save my ammo for later on? And then in the second half of the game, I changed to guns. But yeah, it's tedious. I forgive this game for having clunky controls when normally that's one of my big problems with games because of the context in which it exists. But the actual combat is completely unengaging and I avoided it wherever I could, not because I wanted to stealth or not because I wanted to even conserve ammo. It was just boring. I was bored with the combat and I just wanted it to be over. I would actually go so far as to recommend we, we both played the game on normal difficulty for combat and normal difficulty for riddles. I found the combat so bad that I think that you should play on easy just so you can get it over and done with faster. 
Yeah, I think that it's a huge misstep because difficult enemies can inspire a certain kind of fear in the player. You know, the fear of losing your progress and having to reload because you died. And I think it would have been really good if the game had, you know, challenged you more in this respect. You know, made you have to hide from enemies, have to hit them in certain ways or lure them into certain environments that might be even more dangerous. But it really doesn't. And the enemies really detract from my experience. But, you know, it's good that the game has a lot of other positive things to make up for this, in my opinion. The general game loop of the game doesn't just involve, you know, going around whacking monsters with your wooden board with the nail through it. There's a lot more to it. So the game, you know, begins with you exploring the outskirts of Silent Hill, of running down this really long path with fog, and I mean really thick fog. You can't see further than one meter from your face and you're kind of exploring this town and trying to find out how to get to the area on the note that your wife like your past wife provided you with and there's a lot of exploration in this game not just for ammunition and health packs but for trying to progress the story the main game loop essentially finds you in an area searching for how to progress which often involves just finding a way out of the building or finding solutions to puzzles that the game world is populated with. I will say the main gameplay loop of this game is terrible and I hate it. In addition to the clunky combat, I found the gameplay loop very unenjoyable. In terms of finding out where to go, you'll often be at a location, so say an apartment block. And what you're required to do is, you're required to explore the apartment block in a particular order, find all the relevant items in all the rooms that you can open, because about three quarters of the rooms in this apartment block with 100 rooms are completely inaccessible. You walk up to the door and try and open it, and it says you can't and then bring the right items to the right locations and use them. And that is tedious, uninteresting, and very easy to do incorrectly. Uh, because if you miss one item, the game doesn't tell you that you missed this one item in a darkly lit room. Instead, you wander around for 20 minutes, going back into all the rooms that you were in before to try and find this one irrelevant item so that you can actually progress the story. And this happened to me multiple times throughout the game. I have a strong dislike for pretty much all, most of the gameplay aspects in this game. Really? Okay. I actually thought that the general, like, item hunting and room exploration was really enjoyable. One of the things that I think really helps with it is the map system in this game, which I think should be in a lot more games. I think it's absolutely fantastic. So at the start of each general level, your character will find like a paper map on the floor and as you explore the level you know it'll be a map of an apartment complex with all the rooms labeled and as you explore each room your character will start drawing notes on the map so if you try a door and it's locked your character will scribble out the room so that you can look at your map and you know oh i've already tried to get in here there's nothing there and if there's a puzzle or something else of interest, he'll put a circle or another little drawing on the map to indicate that. And, you know, from start to finish, at the end, your character will have just a map completely covered in scribbles. And I really thought that was cool and, you know, thematic and atmospheric. I thought it was a really good system. 
I should explain that I found this so frustrating that I looked at walkthroughs many times during my time playing it. Really? Okay. Many times. I um I would be going through an area, I would attempt to do it, and then if I was missing an item, I would look for it in all the rooms, and if at that stage I couldn't find them, I was not wasting any more time wandering around nonstop. I would say I looked at a walkthrough between five to ten times playing this game. Not to solve riddles as such, but because I had no idea what to do. And I think that maybe that is on me. Maybe maybe I was doing something wrong or I wasn't using my brain. But I feel like most of the time it was because I missed something that was basically sitting against a wall that was difficult to find. And because I didn't press A in that particular location, it was missed. And there was no real way for me to realize I'd missed something. Okay, I didn't find any of the items particularly hard to miss. The game does a fairly good job of highlighting stuff that you need to pick up. And to help with that, most of the locations in the game you can press A on and it gives you like a little text box telling you a bit about what you're looking at and if there's anything there. So I, I just kind of ran around each room mashing A to make sure I didn't leave anything behind. I think that they could have done a better job in making the levels more dynamic. You know, generally what you can do is just pick a starting room and then just go through each one by one and then eventually you'll solve the room. There's not a whole lot of back and forth, which I thought could have made it a bit more interesting. But, you know, for the most part, I found that exploring these spooky locations, not knowing what you had to do, kind of added to the atmosphere for me. Yeah, the lack of a clear goal. Um, I, see, it wasn't that I didn't know what to do. It was that I didn't realize I'd missed something. Like, there was a laboratory key that was in a jacket that I was like, how am I meant to know that's there? There's one level later on where there's you need to get three music boxes, and I'd missed one of the music boxes. And I was like, well, how am I meant to know where that third music box was? And yes, I could have continued to run around in circles, which I did for a while, but that isn't fun to me. Like, I, I mean, if you find everything on your first playthrough, I mean, good for you. But if you miss something, well, you're kind of stuffed. You just have to keep looking and looking and looking. And there's nothing engaging or interesting about that. Okay. Um, so, kind of like the pixel hunting is what you're complaining yeah, the, the, about the here, pix right? The pixel hunting, I think that it's pretty clear what you like you'll come to a door that requires three particular keys for example and you'll yeah. know you need to get through that but finding the third key sometimes uh, that can be that can be a little tricky and there's uh also one one puzzle where you have to combine three items which uh i definitely didn't figure out by myself i was going to ask about the combination items yeah because you your inventory gets pretty full at times um and some puzzles are solved by you know, finding bits and pieces and putting them together. Like, you find this weird, creepy shower room, and you can see in the plug hole of the shower that there's something in there that might be relevant. And essentially, you solve this by finding a paperclip somewhere and a strand of women's hair <laughs> that, you, uh, that you put together and then, you know, pull out. The items are really on theme. Like, that strand of woman's hair and the, the needle in the teddy bear, I thought they were useful for what you had to do, but they were really on theme for like the horror atmosphere that they were going for. My problem with that shower thing was I accidentally turned my light off, which uh, you can do by pressing B on the controller. I had no yeah. idea, idea I did it. And when your light's off, you can't examine certain things. 
So when really? I got to that chow okay. room, I was pressing A on everything and nothing was happening. I'm like, I don't understand. <laughs> then I looked up the walkthrough and it said, yeah, you just go to the shower room and I was pressing A on anything and nothing was happening. And right. that's just another example of how you can miss something and then have literally no idea what you're meant to do next. Because <laughs> because I didn't have my light on, I was like, well, that room doesn't do anything because I, I tried to press A everywhere. And then I got let off down the wrong track wandering around the hospital for far too long. So I think the gameplay loop sucks. I think the combat is tedious. What I didn't mind and what I think is fair to introduce are what I would term riddles. And I think the riddles are a separate thing from the item key door puzzles. Yes. Throughout the game, you will find little notes with riddles on them connected to puzzles. For example, near the start of the game, there's a puzzle that involves five separate slots. And throughout the apartment building, you find these coins with pictures on them. And there's three of them, you know, with a, an old lady, uh, a prisoner, and an old man, I think, something like that. And essentially, the riddle will give you a few paragraphs of, you know, cryptic message about the people on the coins. And from this cryptic message, you have to figure out which order to place the coins in the slots. And that kind of riddle is throughout the entire game. There's maybe, you know, five or seven of them throughout the eight-hour experience. And I thought they were quite good in general. I regret not putting the riddles on hard because although I enjoyed the riddle, they were very straightforward. And I did look up some of the hard riddles afterwards and they were a lot more... They are a lot more riddly. There was a lot more... Uh, I guess, poetry and symbolism and illusion, which generally is more common of riddles. But on the whole, I didn't mind those because it gave me all the bits I needed to solve them. It was just a matter of solving it. So I I liked the riddles. That's the sort of puzzle solving I enjoy in those, those sorts of games. Yeah, and let's talk about that difficulty for a second because it's something that not a lot of games often do. Um, when you first boot up the game for the first time, you get to not only choose the combat difficulty that you play on, but also the the puzzle difficulty, right? Because it, to me, it makes sense. Somebody who's good at combat isn't necessarily going to be good at problem solving. So for me, it's a good idea to allow the player to set both of these things independently. It's a common gameplay and design problem that if you design puzzles to be too difficult, players are going to stop and get frustrated, like uh, like Patrick here with the with the exploration. Um, <laughs> and I also think that it actually adds to the game's replayability somewhat. The fact that the puzzles in the game change dramatically based on what difficulty setting you set on means that you know you can play the game through a normal um, in about eight hours, and if you want to go through it again because knowing the full story adds context to the earlier parts of the game. You can experience that again, but the puzzles don't have to be tedious because you already know the answers. You can bump the puzzle difficulty up and you have a, you know, a brand new set of puzzles to solve. Yeah, it certainly does. Um, and I, I, if I were to play through this game again, I'd definitely bump the difficulty because it does completely change the puzzles. They're not like just different it, it changes the answers on a lot of circumstances as well so the different difficulties is fine i think that the difference between easy normal and hard just being the enemies having more health is kind of and you probably take more damage is pretty uninteresting oh it's awful but, uh, but whatever i assume that there's the exact same amount of ammo when healing items scattered across the world regardless of difficulty 
Um, I'm not sure. I have read things that suggest that sometimes placement's slightly different, but I'm not, you know, not 100% accurate on that. On the topic of ammo and healing items, I found that because I was so conservative in the first half of the game that I had absurd amounts of healing items and ammo as I uh, moved through the, the last half of the game. I, I ran out of rifle bullets right at the end, but um, for the other weapons, I had heaps and heaps and heaps. Yeah, I ran out of rifle bullets a few times. Uh, the other ones I always had heaps of. I think it's a it's a mistake, honestly. I think that having low supplies is something they could have used to add fear to the player. Because at the start of the game, my feeling was that every time I found bullets or healing items, like, I felt great, you know. I felt rewarded for my exploration, and, you know, it was a really good sigh of relief to find a bit of health when you were low on health and had none on you. But as the game progressed and I found more and more stuff and became more efficient at using my supplies, that feeling kind of went away and I was just drowning in bullets near the end. Yeah, the thing is, because I was running around in circles, I tended to find lots of ammo and healing items as I was desperately trying to find the next item. Maybe if you can beeline through this game more accurately, you end up with less ammo and healing items, but I think that with the kind of loops you end up doing, that it's impossible to avoid finding them. I was just going to ask, did you want to talk about the music a bit? We've touched on the superb sound design, which I agree with you is really good and helps contribute to the atmosphere. Um, is there anything you wanted to say about the music? The music really isn't the focus of the game. Like, there's way more ambient tracks and, you know, lots of little sound effects than there are, you know, actual melodies throughout the game. There's a couple, and for the most part, I enjoyed them. But, you know, definitely not the focus for me. See, for me, this is the best soundtrack on a game so far. I, um, I listened to the entire soundtrack. I think it was wonderful. The way it alternates between the softer tracks in a lot of the conversations with the characters you run into help contribute to the surreal Twin Peaks-esque feel of those scenes and adds a lot. And I think that when you get to the scary bit and the ominous clunking music comes on that also contributes a lot to the atmosphere i was going to say my one problem with the music is that i think music is kind of bound to the the harsh horrible music is bound to particular areas which means that the first time you get to a scary area it's very effective but as you keep returning to this area after the cutscene has played it kind of starts to lose its impact yeah so um i was i was very impressed with the music on the whole this is this is good good music that i like unlike most of the terrible music we've done so far yeah i wouldn't say that i any of the music tracks stood out to me but sometimes in this game I felt that it was difficult to distinguish between what was just ambience and what was a single track. It does a very good job of playing repetitive sounds for about a minute and then suddenly changing it for no reason to scare the player. There was several rooms where, you know, it would be a pretty monotonous soundtrack and then all of a sudden there'd be bumps in it and I'd, you know, whirl around and be wondering what the hell is going around. There was this one room in the prison level 
It was massive, wide and open, and in the middle there was a hangman kind of stand. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, a gallows. Yeah, and just throughout that whole room there were just these bumps occasionally, and I thought there was something chasing me the entire time I was in that room. It was, it was like something galloping around, yeah. Yeah, and it's really foggy in that room and dark and hard to see where you're going. And I found that, you know, those tracks that disperse these bumping sounds throughout them were definitely the most effective. I think that the sound design of this game is perfect. I think that the sound effects are just completely out of this world. What did you think of the music that played during a lot of the cutscenes? Because I don't know if you've seen Twin Peaks at all, but Twin Peaks has a similarly disturbed atmosphere, but the opening music is kind of very idyllic and very, very unlike what you'd expect for what's actually in the series. And I got like that same sort of feel with these cutscenes where the characters would be interacting to this beautiful music and it, it felt very surreal. Yeah, it feels very at odds with what's happening and what they're talking about. And I think that's definitely intentional um, and meant to make you feel, you know, slightly uncomfortable. You know, why is this music playing during this conversation it just does not match the tone there's a lot of disjointed moments throughout the game which i absolutely think are intentional and this is definitely one of them for me uh, i did enjoy it though yeah i will name drop the one track I liked, which is called True. And honestly, I liked most of the soundtrack, but my favorite pieces were the softer ones. And True plays at a pivotal moment um, later in the game that I won't spoil. But that one in particular stood out to me almost as the seminal track for Silent Hill 2. So I recommend you listen to it. Okay, sure. There wasn't a particular song for me that stood out. Uh, it was all of the ambience and, you know, the bumps in the night that really, really got to me. Um, so, is there anything you want to talk about before we get into the story? Or should we talk about the story in a more general way first? Come on, Pat. We haven't even got onto the graphics yet. Um, uh, how did you feel about those? Um, the graphics are... Good. They help contribute to the atmosphere. It is dirty, it is grungy, it is filthy, and it's disgusting. Uh, the places you're going through, like this, the hospital, the prison, even the apartment complex, these are not just dilapidated, they are filthy. They're covered with blood and slime and shit and piss. It's, it's absolutely awful. And the things that James does to retrieve items in these places is even more disgusting. Oh my god, there was this bit at the start of the apartment complex where there was this hole in a wall, like, that you could just barely fit your arm down and it was oozing slime and there was bugs crawling out of it and he's like, he, he puts his face, like, directly against the hole and I was like, holy shit, why would you do that? And then he's like, oh, there's an item down there. And he sticks his hand in this 
disgusting dark damp hole in this place full of insects where there's monsters roaming around trying to kill him the whole time i was so uncomfortable you know and he doesn't do it quickly he does it really slowly with some yeah, really, really not, extend his fingers yeah together. really get his whole arm up to his shoulder into this wall and he's like gr- grunting to try and reach and you're like man he's gonna lose his arm <laughs> it's so horrifying o- overall i think that that does a really good job just a couple of quick comments i think that while the fog is effective at creating the atmosphere it isn't good gameplay wise because what i ended up doing was i would sprint through the streets on one side looking for items then i would cross the street and sprint back in the other direction looking for items i felt like i don't know like i was just sprinting through the town anyway the fact that i couldn't see very far ended up being a frustrating gameplay experience as opposed to being this thing which made me go wow this fog surely sure is a great thing i was not super hot on it yeah i actually agree with you um at the start of the game the first thing you do is run down this long narrow path that's so foggy you can't see anything and i thought that was fine because it was a small narrow path that you couldn't get lost in and then later in the game you know so each environment is its own standalone thing like the first place you go to is an apartment block And then later on there's a hospital and a prison. And they're all separated by periods of you running through the streets of the town. And the streets of the town, you can't see shit. You can't see like a meter in front of your face. And there's all these winding roads, all these blocked off streets and dead ends. And it's just, it's really hard to navigate. It's not super scary because in such an open world You can hold down sprint to get past all the monsters. Like, there's nothing threatening to you in this part. There's no jump scares in these parts. So there's really, you know, nothing to be afraid of. So the fog just kind of makes it tedious, honestly. Um, And I'll definitely agree with that. The fog does look cool, though. And the whole game has this film grain filter over it, I'm going to say. That makes it look, you know, adds to that feeling of oldness. In terms of the character models, how do you feel they aged? The game's story segments are shown in, you know, a bunch of FMVs, and I think that those are, still to this day, they hold up pretty well. The high-quality character models in the FMVs are great, they're well animated, although I will say that the in-engine cutscenes have aged a little bit. For me, it's like right in the middle of um, Uncanny Valley. I would have preferred not to have FMVs. They, I understand they showed the characters' animation better, but I found the cut from the models to the animations just a little off-putting, as even though the animation did improve. So, yeah, it's fine. I don't think the character models are bad, and the characters do look distinct from one another. But, yeah, it's nothing, it's nothing special. The film grain in this, normally I would hate it. For this game, it's perfectly appropriate. I will add one more note on the graphics from a gameplay sense. One of the things that makes it difficult to find items is that because the graphics are so washed out and because there's no nothing highlighting items, it's easy to miss them because the environments is all in greens and browns and greys and washed out whites. There's not any contrast or glints on the items that you're collecting. The one thing that's done extremely well in terms of contrast is the save points, which are always these bright red squares that stand out. 
And I wonder if a small glint being added to the items, while it would probably detract from the atmosphere a little bit, it would make the game a lot less frustrating. I yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't like that. I, I really liked how the items kind of blended in. Honestly, it made finding them more rewarding to me. But maybe that's because I just kind of liked the general pixel hunting. Yeah, I gotta um, say, not finding them isn't rewarding. <laughs> In general, I think the game's graphics do a very good job of making the areas feel distinct and spooky. I think, however, that a lot of the enemy models haven't aged particularly well. Last week I said that I thought that might add to the to the horror of these weird, creepy things, but I think some of them look just kind of ridiculous now, and actually seeing the enemies, you know, as I said, removed a lot of the tension that I was feeling while tra traveling through these really dark levels. I certainly wasn't scared, but I will say that I think that if the models were more detailed, that would present its own problems. Yeah, I agree. moving into spoilers, so I actually think it's fine. Yeah, they're not particularly scary, but their deliberately vague shapes are important in a story sense. Um, I want to go back and say that you mentioned that a lot of the character models are kind of uncanny. Uh, yes. And I actually agree with you, but... Part of me thinks that some of it's on purpose. Like, it makes you feel uncomfortable when you're looking at these characters in some instances. Especially this character named Eddie. I found that the way his teeth moved and his face and his lips moved was really creepy at times. And I think that was done intentionally. I think you're overestimating what graphical animators were capable of back in 2000. Yeah, you know, that's entirely possible too. I, I, I don't think it's intentional. It's It might be an impact that we have. I don't want to detract from that in terms of your interpretation. But I think at the time, at least, they were considered the cutting edge of graphics in FMVs. I find that it's fine. It certainly doesn't detract from it. And the overall environment design is is graphically on point and i think it's well done uh this is a game that has aged well despite being 20 years old yeah i agree uh it still looks very good and the graphics definitely accomplish what they're setting out to do so with that i guess we have to finally move on to the story so overall in a general sense did you enjoy the story because one of the things that patrick and i have argued over many many times is the story in games. Patrick for a long time has told me that he thinks games do stories very poorly in general and with this game I actually think it's quite good and meets some of the requirements for a good story that Patrick has told me about in the past such as being good character explorations and you know uh, studies of the human condition which I think is accomplished somewhat in the story of this game. But am I, am I right? Am I wrong? The story is fantastic. The story is the best part of this game. The fact that it's not just the dialogue, but also the environment, the symbolism, everything feeds back into making this a very good story. Silent Hills 2's story is fantastic. Yeah, and one of the things that, you know, we've discussed in the past, you know, not on the podcast, but between ourselves, is that... One of the things Pat likes in his characters is that they don't exist for the sake of the player character. Everything that they do shouldn't be tied to what the main character's doing. And I feel that with most of the characters in this game, they are kind of living their own lives parallel to the main character and somewhat intersecting occasionally. 
I, I think I'm going to struggle avoiding strong spoilers here. Yeah, so <laughs> I, guess, I, guess, <laughs> I guess... I guess with that, let's give you guys a basic feeling of how we feel about the game, and then we can jump into the spoilers. So, Pat, how do you feel about the game overall? Would you recommend it to people? Man, this, is, this has been something I've been struggling with for a long time. Would I recommend Silent Hill 2? Okay, so... This would be a much easier recommend if this wasn't a game. If this was a movie, if this was a book, it would be a slam dunk recommendation. Fantastic. But the fact remains that this is a game, and I find playing this as a game very frustrating. So these are the circumstances under which I would recommend Silent Hill 2. Number one, put on easy difficulty. Number two, Normal or hard riddle difficulty is fine, just depending if you like riddles or not. Number three, have access to a walkthrough at all times. Playing without this game without a walkthrough will be very frustrating. If you put it on easy and you have a walkthrough, then I will recommend this game. If you don't have access to a walkthrough and you don't like playing games without access to a walkthrough, or you're playing on normal difficulty, I don't recommend it because the gameplay sucks. The story is great, the gameplay sucks. So overall, I think that comes out as a don't recommend and maybe you should just watch someone play. I can't agree with that because I think that much of this game's story is conveyed in the gameplay. I don't think you can just watch a story or read the summary and experience it in its fullest. All of the puzzles and the designs of everything in this game feeds back into the story, and I think you lose a lot by not playing through it. I will agree that the combat in this game is garbage, it's really boring, and like Pat, if you don't enjoy pixel hunting and exploration, you're probably not going to enjoy any of the gameplay to be honest. But I really did enjoy running around the levels of finding things, and particularly the riddles I thought were excellent. So, you know, for me, this game, when I was first playing it, the first few hours, I was thinking to myself that this was not going to be a game that I recommended people play based on what I've just said. However, once the story reaches its heights, the story in this game is absolutely phenomenal. I love it. And that really retroactively fixes the start of the game for me once I experienced the end of the game. So I would definitely recommend this game. I think that you need to go into it expecting the combat to be kind of shit or you're going to be really disappointed. But if you do pick it up, definitely stay till the end. I will say that. So for me, I think it's definitely a recommend. If this game was a telltale game where it's basically a um, interactive story, I'd be on board with it. But yeah, I was just so frustrated and annoyed by the mechanical things you do in this game. Running around repeatedly, trying every single door, not knowing where to go, going around in circles, figuring out obscure item combinations like knowing to drop the juice on the garbage. Oh um, yeah, that was that that puzzle all, was probably the worst in the game. All these things actively detracted from the atmosphere of the game because it becomes obvious when you're doing these things that you are playing a game. It's like you're doing all these gamey things. The things that you're doing in and of themselves are fine. It's a weird dreamlike world where you're doing weird dreamlike things. But the 20 minutes it takes you to figure it out before eventually going to walk through because you're too frustrated, 
that broke my immersion every single time. And it happened so many times over the course of the game. The tedium of repeatedly hitting monsters. Whenever I saw a new one, I just, I was, I wasn't scared. I wasn't like, oh no, I only have so much money. I sighed out in frustration because I knew I'd have to spend the next 30 seconds just mashing a button to take it out. It detracts from the atmosphere in a big way. Whenever the game isn't doing gameplay stuff, it shines. And I do agree with you that there are parts of this game that needed to be a game. It, you can't just say, watch someone play it and get the same experience. But to me, I would only recommend it under those circumstances. Or if you're the kind of person who is just ready to push through terrible gameplay experiences to get a good story. And for me, there's enough good stories out there in the world that I wouldn't be bothered to play through the game. Okay. It's funny because I think that at its core, the general game loop is quite a good one. You know, you got going from combat to puzzle solving to exploration. But I think the execution in two out of three of these things is quite poor, which um, is really unfortunate. I think that if the combat um, and the exploration, uh, you know, somewhat the exploration had been done much better, then this game would be an absolute classic um, that I would recommend without hesitation to anyone, provided that you're okay with horror games. Alrighty then, shall we move into heavy spoiler discussion of the story, the bit you've all been waiting for? Yeah, so Dumbledore dies. Oi! <laughs> but yeah, we're, we're definitely going to go into full spoilers now, so I highly recommend that if you want to enjoy this game to the fullest, that you take our recommendation from here, go play it, and then come back for the story analysis later. So, Pat, how do you feel about, you know, everything? Give me your hot takes on the story. Well, it's, it's hard to summarize in one, in one sentence because there's so much going on. But the gist of the Silent Hill 2 story is that the town of Silent Hill reflects the individual characters' psychological problems in the town. And the town physically manifests the things that are tormenting them in their psyche. The game concentrates on James who is trying to find his wife. But there are also other characters that he runs into over the game who have their own, not quite quests, but they've been drawn to Silent Hill for similar reasons to James. And the town reflects the problems that they went through and the problems that they're currently going through. That concept is a very interesting one, particularly since all the characters' individual stories are happening all at the same time. Should we begin by talking about James's story and then move on to each of the characters? I just want to be crystal clear that there are several characters in this game and they're going through the town simultaneously and what they can see, like physically see in the world, is completely different to every other character. Although um, that isn't like actually explained explicitly. It's more... Yes. Yeah, you kind of figure it out because throughout the game... Characters will have conversations with each other that feel really disjointed. Like, characters will be talking to each other almost like ships passing in the night at some points, because they're talking about completely different experiences, even though they're in the same location. You, James, see monsters everywhere. Nobody else does. And a couple times in the story, 
he mentions to these characters that they should run away from the monsters and they you know they don't quite react with the fear that they should be and you know when i was first playing through the game and i hadn't realized this yet i found it quite i almost thought it was poor writing but i was completely wrong there a good example of that is the very first time you meet eddie so you meet a character called eddie and as you walk into his apartment there's a dead person um in the apartment and you're just like well a monster killed him and then when you confront eddie well you see him he's vomiting in the toilet and you ask if he's okay he gets incredibly defensive about the fact that he didn't kill the guy that he was dead when he got there and at the time that was incredibly strange because you're like well of course he didn't kill him there's like monsters literally everywhere and dead people everywhere of course he didn't kill him but when you realize that in Eddie's world there are no monsters, all of a sudden it makes a lot more sense. Yeah, Eddie, Eddie's the one who killed him. And Eddie's character arc throughout the game is one of him coming to grips with the fact that he doesn't think that killing people is as hard as it seemed at first. Um, he's quite a twisted character who, as far as you can tell, he's quite a large, like a fat guy. And he thinks that the world is against him, calling him a fat slob and laughing at him behind his back. And as you piece it together through the game, it appears that the town of Silent Hill is full of people laughing and jeering at Eddie from his perspective. And, you know, the end of this character's arc is he realizes that he's capable of murder and that he's just not going to take shit from anyone anymore. He's just going to shoot people in the head if they laugh at him. What a, what a brilliant guiding philosophy. <laughs> his, um, his origin story is specifically that he killed his dog, potentially torturing it, shot one of his bullies in the knee, who was a quarterback, and then he ran away to Silent Hill. And yeah, it's, it's screwed up. And like James says, he just starts, he realizes, well, I can just kill people if they make fun of me. Obviously, it doesn't go too well when he runs to James and James tries to defend himself. Yeah, I, I, I didn't like that one bit. <laughs> um, but all of the characters in this game have similar disturbing character arcs. There's a lady whose father abused her, you find Angela. out. Angela, yep. And at the start of the game, you find her at a cemetery saying that she came here to visit her mother, I believe. Mm. Um, but really, you notice that all of the imagery surrounding Angela is one of death, and in particular suicide because you find out that this character, through, you know, these small interactions with her, she was abused by her father and was made to feel, you know, pretty worthless as a human being. And your interactions with her are trying to stop her from killing herself. You don't um, do a very good job. Yeah, no. James, James very much lacks empathy because he's on his own personal journey. So he can't be what Angela needs him to be. And I don't even know how much that would have helped, but he doesn't try very hard when he meets her to begin with, except for taking a knife away from her when she was thinking of killing herself. Angela's story is the most tragic in the entire thing. She says herself that her mother told her she deserved it. And um, for Angela, she perceives the world in flames at all times. And you don't realize that till the end. And this kind of goes into how the world is reflected in the story. There's a particular enemy that at one stage you rescue Angela from. They're called a door a doorman or something in the in the lore. But the appearance of these monsters when you study them closer 
is the image of one figure over a smaller figure on a bed. And yes. it takes place in a room where there are pistons constantly going in and out. It's it's incredibly disturbing. And yeah, she yells out something like, please stop, Daddy, yeah. And this is what I mean by it's not horrifying in the sense that there are, you know, the monsters are scary. It's horrifying in that it confronts these taboo, terrible subjects in such a, in su- I guess, in such a full-on way. It is a very disturbing game, and Angela's story is the most tragic. You know, because it would have been so easy to write the story so James could do something to save Angela, but in the story of Silent Hill 2, he doesn't. He never does. He just doesn't have the empathy or way to communicate with her that she needs. And she ends up committing suicide to escape. So, yeah, a- Angela's story is incredibly sad. Yes, it is. Um, and it was like I said earlier, these characters' stories, they're their own people. They don't exist in the world for the sake of the main character. They're on their own quest, and it makes the world feel more alive as a result, um, in my opinion. To go on a bit to the main character's quest... Going back to the start of the game, you receive a letter from your dead wife who was supposedly terminally ill for a long time and then passed away. And she is apparently in this town waiting for you to come and save her. No, sorry, and, just to clarify, it, you, she doesn't ask you to save her. She just says, uh, meet with me in my special. All right, yep. Yeah. You begin the game, you know, just exploring the town and trying to find your way to what your character thinks is the special place. You don't know what that special place is supposed to mean. You just, you've been to this town with her before and there were several places in the town that you shared a special memory together. So you go and you explore those places. And throughout the experience... Uh, things start to, like, not add up as you continue through the game, right? You find a character, a little girl, who said she spoke to Mary quite recently. You find a woman named Maria, who looks very similar to your dead wife, uh, except acts almost the exact opposite. Whereas your dead wife was quiet and demure, this lady is wearing these racy outfits and is quite full-on... Uh, it's implied that she was a stripper in a part of the game, and she follows you throughout the game. Yeah, and there's a real dreamlike aspect to how he's interacting and seeing these characters. He um he goes through the game, and I would say that the world becomes darker and darker uh, as you move from location to location. You go through the apartments, you go through a hospital, And then you get to the historical society where the game truly becomes completely surreal because the historical society involves you descending through something like five pits, descending staircases and elevators. You're going hundreds and hundreds of meters into the ground, basically. It feels like you're descending into darkness and it becomes more and more horrible. The story, in a lot of ways, culminates when you reach the hotel, which you finally figure out is your special place. And uh, that involves a twist, which uh, changes the whole story. Essentially, you finish exploring the final uh, quote-unquote special place of your relationship, 
and you come across a videotape and this videotape you apparently left behind on your past vacation there and the hotel staff kept it for you. So the big climax of the story involves you finding a VCR player in a hotel room which is suspiciously in pristine condition. Like this room is just completely normal where the rest of the game is super grungy and disgusting. You're just in this completely normal hotel room, which to me kind of symbolizes James being honest with himself. Because throughout the entire game, you go through the game assuming that your wife has died from her illness. But the videotape that you play in this VCR is you kissing your wife goodnight and then smothering her to death with a pillow. And essentially the entire game's story is the Silent Hill town trying to get the main character to come to terms with the fact that he killed his wife, and that he feels incredibly guilty about it. Everything in the game is a reflection of that, from the things James experiences, the locations he goes to, and most pointedly, probably the enemies he faces. Every single enemy in the game, in some way, could be a reflection of Mary from there's an enemy that's basically two mannequin legs sewed together. The regular enemy seems to, you know, the generic zombie enemy seems to be feminine in shape and seems to be as if it's in a straitjacket trapped like his dying sick wife. Uh, even the um, there's an enemy you fight that's in a cage and that cage could said be said to represent or symbolize the fact that she was stuck to her bed, that she was, you know, terminally ill with no freedom. The everything makes sense, in, or a lot of things make sense in light of that revelation. James isn't your typical hero. Yeah, like things like at the start of the game, your character isn't particularly shocked by death and that kind of thing is kind of weird when he's supposed to be just like this everyday guy. But the concept isn't, like, you find out that the killing isn't particularly new to him. Although, later in the game, you end up having to kill Eddie, because his deranged madness leads him to try and kill you. And upon killing Eddie, uh, your character freaks out because he realizes he's killed another human being. And this kind of... Ignoring the fact that he is killed before but also expressing extreme guilt, even though he was forced to kill this man or die himself, kind of shows to me the kind of person he is and that he felt incredibly guilty at killing his wife, which, you know, you find out in the story, his wife was very sick. She had a terrible illness that caused her to become fearful, irrational, angry, abusive, bitter... And it even disfigured her face, so she became uh, hideous to look at. And the main character, James, in the later stages of the illness, felt trapped. He couldn't progress his life because he loved his wife. He couldn't leave her in her most vulnerable point in her life. But neither could he move on, find something new. And he was stuck in this sort of abusive relationship where... You know, just his life was at a complete, bitter, unfulfilling standstill. And so to escape from that, to help his wife escape from her constant agony, to enable himself to move forward, he kills her. 
essentially. Yeah, it's a it is a complex thing because Mary at times will say that she wants to die, that she has nothing to live for, that she hates herself. But at other times she'll say, I don't want to die, I want to live. And it's clear that when she's struggling while she's being suffocated by James, that she doesn't actually want to die, no matter how terrible and horrible the things she says about herself are. James did not do it purely for selfish reasons. He did think on some level that Mary did want to die. But on a more real level, he did do it for himself. It, it, was, it wasn't purely for himself. But that was it mostly. And that's why he has to go through what he goes through at Silent Hill. Ultimately, the conclusion to the story, um, although there are multiple endings that you can get, um, are of your character forgiving himself and moving on. Uh, one of the ways that James's guilt manifests throughout the game is in this there's one enemy in the entire game that isn't feminine and is actually quite masculine. And you probably, if you know anything about Silent Hill 2, you would have seen art of Pyramid Head before. Pyramid Head is this big muscular guy in these disgusting, almost butcher's outfit with a huge metal triangular cage on his head and a massive butcher's cleaver, uh, so heavy, you know, that he drags it along behind him. And throughout the game, this character torments you and kills Maria, the character that's supposed to, in your head, symbolize your... Actually, let's talk about that for a second. Sure. Do you think Maria's a real person? Absolutely not. No, Maria, I don't... M Maria is just like the other demons that populate the thing. There's a couple of big tells. One of the first is that when you get to the bowling alley, where there's Laura and Eddie, she says something like, I've never liked bowling alleys, and she stays outside for no real reason. At first, I put that off as just another weird, stupid thing, but it makes sense. So she never interacts with any other character. Yes. And yes. the ending kind of makes it clear as well that Maria, in a lot of is the antithesis of Mary. She's the easy escape. She's everything that James wanted Mary to be. Uh, she's what's pulling you away from Mary and, you know, confronting what you did and ultimately forgiving yourself. She's a psychological crutch for him in many ways, I think, in him dealing with his pain. She is, yes, as you said, this free person who he, you know, could imagine running off with um, and abandoning Mary. But ultimately, in the story's climax, he decides he doesn't need this this fake wife that he's constructed in his head anymore and abandons her. Well, depending um, on what ending you get, there is an ending where you reject Mary and leave town with Maria. Yes, yes. Um, and that's mostly symbolic in my interpretation. But she does die several times throughout the game, killed by this pyramid head character. And I think that's supposed to symbolize the main character's guilt at the death of his wife. I think that Pyramid Head is supposed to represent James, James's guilt, and James's subconscious desire for punishment at what he'd done. Yes, I agree with that. Py Pyramid Head is, um, is there to punish him, and he's there to be punished. There was something I wanted to touch on that I was a bit unsure about. There's a lot of um, sexual symbolism in this game, and not just for Angela, where it makes a lot of sense, but for James. 
Um, Pyramid Head is a very sexual figure. A lot of the enemies you confront are very uh, linked to sex and um, labias and things like that. And I've read online that people say it represents James, I guess, repressed sexual urges. But from what I got from the story about James, no such thing really existed. And it made me think that perhaps James was cheating on his wife or or something like that. Did you get any... Because I understood all of the the straitjackets and the pain and everything to do with his wife. The sexual imagery less so in relation to James. Yeah, I agree. I don't think it's quite clear what that's referring to. I do think that it's probably more likely his repressed desires to move on with another woman and not mm-hmm. proof of cheating that it could be implied. With the straitjacket imagery that you kind of showed, did you when you were doing the prison level, did you see the prison level as kind of a representation of James's entrapment in the whole situation? Yeah, there's um there's a part where you have to collect tablets to put in the gallows and to get the guilty man's tablet you have to go into a jail cell and you can't immediately get out. It says the door is locked. So yeah, the game is stuffed to the gills with this sort of representative imagery. And I think that what it does so well and how it contributes so so much to the atmosphere is that it's all relatively subtle. I don't mean like it's so subtle you'll never notice it. It's more that it creeps up on you and your subconscious will notice it, even if your waking mind doesn't. You All of this imagery and representative stuff taken as a whole comes together towards something meaningful. If it was just one or two things, less so. But when you're constantly moving through these areas, even something like the hospital obviously has a lot in common with your, you know, terminally ill wife. It really does add a lot. So yeah, I think there's representation and symbolism in pretty much every aspect of this game. Yeah, I think of probably any game I've ever played, this game does symbolism and imagery the best by far, probably. Um, I think that the story is incredibly well told. It's not forced in your face. It's slowly built up around you. And I think this game, more than a lot of games, would benefit from repeated playthroughs. I think that the start of the game can be interpreted very differently after, you know, kind of the whole deal with what's going on. There's this character, Laura, who's a little girl, who during my initial playthrough seemed extremely sinister. I thought she was some manifestation of evil or the town tricking me, Um, because every time you encounter her at the start, something bad happens. But really, you eventually realize that because the town's different to each person, that this character is actually just a symbol of purity, right? She's a little innocent girl, and so the town appears completely normal to her. But to you, the player who thinks that everything is monsters and demons and death, the fact that this little girl can so easily move through these levels inhabited by monsters is really disconcerting. And to top it off, there's this section in the game where she locks you in a room with a boss, and I thought that was, like, just a huge red flag at this character's motivations, when really, once you finish the game, it just means absolutely nothing. Yeah, she's a silly little girl pulling a prank. Yeah. 
Yeah, I will touch on one part of the story which I did have problems with. Now, I think that the script for this game is fine, but there are multiple times where I think the voice acting is quite bad. And I don't say that lightly because there is a lot to be said for the weirdness and off-kilter way that the characters speak in contributing to the Twin Peaks-esque atmosphere of the game. But even that being said, I think there are points where the voice acting just doesn't sound right, where I think that better voice acting would have done a better job and where the voice acting actually pulled me out of the story instead of sucking me back into it. And I know that's a difficult balance to get right, but I think that it's something that wasn't perfect and something which I was, I was annoyed at at multiple times throughout the story. Did you, um, did you have any problems with the script of voice acting or you just thought it was good? Yeah, so the voice acting I 100% agree with. I think it at times is really poor. But one of the things I initially had issues with was how disjointed the script was. And I thought that, you know, at times it was just poorly translated perhaps. But it really was just the characters seeing different things and talking about things that were different from each other. So I think that... It gets a bit of a pass in that regard, in my opinion. Yeah, I think that the script is fine. I, I agree with you that the way in which the characters speak is actually perfect in a lot of ways. It should be disjointed and confusing. But but the way in which they did it, there were particularly Eddie had some lines, but honestly, they all had lines and moments where they were quite weak. I think that Maria was the best voice actor out of all of them. Yeah. And I think that there was one absolutely standout moment in the voice acting, which is the letter that Mary reads at the end of the game, which I think is phenomenal. Yeah, like, it I was. think that that the final letter reading genuinely makes you sad and you can feel the emotion in a voice and it's done at the right pacing. It's nice and slow. It's it's wonderful. It's wonderful in a way that the rest of the voice acting isn't but the fact that it's so good makes me wonder if the not great voice acting is deliberate on some level. But that final bit where she reads the letter, it, it's beautiful. It's truly wonderful. It really is. Yeah, I found that last scene to be utterly heart-wrenching. This character who understands that the illness is making them horrific to look at and to be around and knowing that it's pushing people away from her you know, in the last kind of moments that she gets to spend with them must be absolutely awful to deal with. And I thought that the voice actress absolutely nailed it. Something that I hadn't thought about until I had actually finished the game was, you know how the combat is extremely easy and that the enemies are all feminine and representative of your wife? Yes. Do you think it's intentional that the enemies are so helpless um, that's a good question. Um, I hadn't thought about it. Quite possibly. I, I mean, to be fair, we were playing on normal difficulty and the enemies, while they're fairly slow moving, they can ambush you in corridors and they can definitely deal damage to you. I think that they would have needed to be more deliberately helpless to, to truly get that meaning of us, though. Yeah. Um, something like the final boss in Fury comes to mind, uh, who literally can't do damage to you. 
Yes. Um, the enemies are certainly representing your life, but I don't know if that specific idea you brought up is tr- is is what they were intending. Okay, sure. So with that in mind, how would you compare this story to other video game stories? I think in general, most stories don't do a good job of making use of the interactive medium of storytelling in video games. Exploring the world in this game feeds into the story a lot because of all the symbolism and because every area and every enemy has been created to reflect the main character's psychological disposition rather than just, you know, giving you everything in exposition dumps and stories, which a lot of video games do. Comparing it just to other video games, difficult. Um, I have a particular taste in video game stories and I freely admit that I haven't experienced a lot of what people consider the seminal video game stories. Stuff from JRPGs, for example, something that I generally don't have the patience for. But I will say without question that this is a story worth experiencing. If you can, if you're happy to put up with the rest of the game, this story is well worth your time and it's very well crafted. And I love how the environmental storytelling winds in and is reflective of what's happening in the cutscenes. It's, um, it's very well constructed. Yeah, it's incredibly deep. You could probably play through this game two or three times and still miss stuff, I think. So for that, I think this story is, you know, one of the best video game stories I've ever played. So, Unfortunately, the... uh, playing through it would involve playing through it, so I <laughs> can't, yeah. can't possibly do that. But I guess the most important thing to say is that if you do play through it multiple times, you can get the greatest ending to a video game ever made. (laughs) (laughs) Um, If you beat the game and get all four different endings, um, I think it's either the fourth one or there's a fifth ending where um, you're you're a dog, I believe. So so the ending is um, get right at the end of the game and um, you have to have picked up the dog key which you find in a dog house and then you unlock something called the production room which is otherwise an inaccessible room and you see a dog at a giant computer terminal who's the one behind all the events of silent 2 it's a giant machine and he's controlling it all and then it plays a soundtrack in dog bark and shows yeah. you a lot of humorous <laughs> images and the credits roll, yeah. Yeah, that's, um, the, that's the true ending of Silent that's the, Hill. That's the true ending of Silent Hill, is that it was all this little, this cute little dog Jesus. controlling everything from behind the scenes. Truly the yeah, so deepest... ignore all that symbolic crap we just said. It's the dog. <laughs> it's the, the dog. dog. That's what's important, yeah. But yeah, do you have anything else to say? We... Um, oh, do you want... I, there was one thing that which was the boss battles that we can talk about if you like the boss battles are another example of this game sucking yeah the, uh, very first boss battle is your first encounter with pyramid head in a closed room and you have to run around in circles for two minutes not getting hit and then he decides to leave he and just walks off he just walks off and uh I can't and then you follow him. him. Oh yeah, you follow him as well. Yeah, I thought that was really weird. Like this crazy dude with a giant at, like machete, and you just you follow him into this creepy corridor. Like I, I had no idea what the main I th- character was thinking. I think it would have been fine if it like went for thirty seconds, but the fact that it goes for two minutes, I thought the game had bugged out or something. 
Because I was just running from one corner of the room to the other. I actually had to look up to find out I was meant to stand around and wait for the uh, for the thing to end. Yeah, this the, is actually one of the bits I looked up as well, and I didn't look up that much. Um, yeah, you had to either wait for about two or three minutes doing nothing, or you had to shoot him in the head 20 times. The um, other boss battles in the game, in running from to shooting a few bullets, then running to the next corner... They are they are very very unengaging. Yeah, they're awful. Yeah, the um the best part of the boss battles is the cutscene that plays before the boss battle. Those are pretty good. Yeah, they are. Um, they're all really interesting. The start of Angela's well, I don't know if it's a boss fight, but the start of that new enemy in Angela's room with the creepy pistons, I thought was very unsettling and good. Um, the yeah, same with that room that you get locked in um, in the hospital. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's all very, like, once again, the story and atmosphere and environment, it all makes sense, but the execution and gameplay aspect of it is just dull. Yeah, so basically to sum up, the gameplay in this game sucks. You should play it. <laughs> the gameplay does indeed suck, and you should play it if you have a stomach for terrible gameplay, which I don't really. But you, you liked the gameplay a lot more than I did. Yeah, I did. Um, also, even if the gameplay sucks, the game isn't that long, which I think works in its favour. Agreed. It's a, it's a more tight experience. So, yeah. um, move on to overall thoughts and feelings? Yeah, so, to sum up again, the gameplay sucks. The sound and the graphics uh, are still great to this day. They've aged pretty well, especially the sound design. The sound design is some of the best I've ever seen. And the story is probably now in my top three favorite stories of any video game ever so i would absolutely recommend this game to people yeah i am uh, right on the line the gameplay is miserable hated it the story is brilliant i agree with james that it's one of the best video game stories i've ever encountered um not just because it tells a linear story but because everything is reflective of it which is so rare to see in in something like a video game particularly one from 2001 it stands head and shoulders above many story games that come out right now. If you are the sort of person who can stomach terrible gameplay, you should play this game. If you don't want to stomach that and you're more like me, I would recommend trying to find some other way to experience it or get a walkthrough and just follow that walkthrough from start through finish. And maybe the story will be good enough that you can get over the poor gameplay. At least do the riddles on your own. Those are worth doing. Yes, yeah. No, I, I always did the riddles by myself. But but when it comes to finding the keys in an apartment building, just find out where to go. Don't open and wander around aimlessly for hours because you'll just stop playing because it's too frustrating. Yeah, I think that playing the game is mandatory for the story to have the same impact. But that kind of gameplay, you know, struggling through it doesn't add anything. So... If you don't care for it, then, you know, using a walkthrough isn't going to detract from that, I don't think. So, that's our thoughts on Silent Hill 2. Our next game is going to be another Patrick game, unfortunately. So, what do you have in store for us next week? So, next week, we're going to play the original Quake. The first, well, the second of many first-person shooters to come, as uh, FPSs are like my, uh, my home ground. So we started with Doom, and now we're moving to, I believe it's 1996 Quake 1. 
Quake is a game I have played before. Once again, as a kid, I never really played much of Quake 3 Arena that I know a lot of people played growing up. So I'm looking forward to revisiting the FPS that invented verticality in a lot of ways to see if it still holds up today. Yeah, and it'll be good to play a genre we've already done before. We can compare it to Doom. It might be interesting to talk about uh, which game you should play first, I guess, in theme with this show. So thanks for listening, and you can find the rest of our episodes at rspodcast.net and our Twitter information at retpodcast. Until next time, thanks for listening. Come on, James, you need to say you can listen to us wherever you normally listen to podcasts. But uh, now that that's done, we will see you in two weeks. Adios, amigos. See ya. See ya.